Warning, the following podcast is a shit show, and the individuals you are about to meet are idiots. Their opinions, anecdotes, and advice contain zero nutritional value. This is the critical human condition and all of its strangeness. This is life, according to an idiot. Jeremy, I am so jazzed up I bet for you've... the new year. I bet you are. 2020. I can't believe it's already 2017. Can you believe it? <laughs> 2020. Hindsight is 2020. Oh, wow. Yeah, the it. first time we're seeing in 2020. <laughs> wow. You've uh, heard that joke 50 We're both times. wearing glasses right now, so. Yes, yeah, so it's a joke for those nerds out there. All you nerds will get that. <laughs> so if there's one thing you know about me. It's that I love New Year's resolutions. You do, yeah. I do, yeah. Uh, I doubt you have any, because last year you didn't, because I I remember. Okay, you're correct at assuming. However, I do have some. (gasps) I remember last year and the prior years, you said you don't have specific resolutions, but you have code words. Yep. That you like to live by, which I I think is nifty, and I like that. Yeah. And I'm retroactively applying those for myself okay so 2018 for me was the year of self-discovery 2019 was the year of stepping out of my comfort zone i did a lot of that and it was pretty cool right and this year actually let me let me recap what last year's resolutions were i have them on my phone yeah i didn't write write them 200 downloads per episode for a podcast and we crushed it. Honestly, I was not expecting it, but we crushed it back in like June, I yeah. think. Yeah, that's about Which is really good. So got that one done. Crossed that one out pretty early. That was really exciting and that was cool. It was. Uh, I wanted to take improv classes, which if you listen, oh. you know that I did and Jeremy joined me, which was a lot yeah. of fun. Yes, yes. Uh, keep working on my mental health and happiness, which I did by writing down something positive every single day. Oh. I did every single day until about September. And I felt like I didn't really need to do it anymore. So until September, I wrote something positive every single day. What's an example of that? Like positive thing in your life or just in general? Yeah, I have some examples. Things like my first Pride Festival. Starting okay. my vegetable garden, better financial decisions, patio talks with Jeremy. That's me. Yeah. Planting trees, pink eye from ass eating. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh. So that's a little sample of what happened this year. So at the end of the day, I would reflect on what happened that day and I would write down something positive. That's so, a good idea. Yeah. Usually, like if I have a really crummy day, I reflect on my day and I try to think of something positive, I realize that there's a lot more positives in my day than I originally thought. Yeah. And it's never as bad as I really think it is. And just taking that time to reflect at the end of the night, it was it was good. If you are looking for something like that to do in your own life, I would recommend it. Unless nothing positive happens. Like you get your journal out, you're like, what, what happened today? I ate. Oh, nothing. <laughs> I ate something, <laughs> which is some things. Sometimes I had nothing, so I would write that. Right. Uh, but I had yeah, a burger. I had a decent meal, yeah. which some people don't have. So I guess silver lining, whatever. That's true. If you want to do that. Uh, I wanted to go to Seattle. That was in my New Year's resolutions. And I just did that. In December. So that was pretty cool. I did it at the last second there, but I I went. You had a very accomplished year. Yeah, I also want to get my splits down, but that didn't happen, so. Your your what done? My splits. Your splits? Yeah. 
I want to do that, and I completely like forgot. Like doing the splits, like the move? Yeah, like putting your legs apart in a split. I didn't do anything towards that. Completely ignored it. How could you? Do? You have hip implants, though, right? Yeah, well, I didn't care for New Year's. I wanted I wanted <laughs> to do that, it. <laughs> couldn't that ruin everything? <laughs> no, this would probably be fine. I'd like to get a doctor to check in on that yeah. first. For this year... I want Oh my to... god, she has a planner. I didn't even see that. Yeah, I literally have a planner she, out right now. She just dropped a planner on the table. I have a planner. This is my journal. I'm going to start journaling. That's one of my really? resolutions. Yeah. So last year it was writing something positive every day. And this year it's going to be journaling. So I want to do that. I want to graduate with my bachelor's. This will be my final semester. Oh boy. Get a job or start a master's degree. I want to travel to two new places. And I want to volunteer at something I'm passionate about. I'm sure you'll do that. What was your last year's resolution? Um, I think it had something to do with, I don't remember the word. It was like... Well, we can go back and listen to it. It's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, so it's a code word of... Uh, I find it's hard to stay motivated, especially with resolutions when they're so specific. Mm-hmm. And so I figured if I do just a word, it's a lot easier to accomplish it and feel positive about yeah. it. Yeah. It also gives your year a direction to head in. So what's your word for this year? I was thinking discipline. Okay. I like I that. I want to learn how to not fall back into comfort so much. I want a very similar vibe out of my year. Yeah. Definitely. Fine tune what I'm what I've been trying to do as yes. a person and like, like you know structure. Yeah. Get serious up in here. You know a what very mean? structured year. Get definitely. adulty. Kind of yeah. Um yeah. because like I know I'm late to everything. Yeah. It's like my thing. I'm always <laughs> late and it's like it's just so it's the it's like the worst quirk to have because you're the late guy there's nothing sometimes when you're like oh i'm the clumsy one or i'm yeah the, I, I'm, even, even, the, even the guy that's the one who drinks too much there's there's some level of it where it's like oh well he's funny and cute when he trips this guy's late so it's like no one can totally rely on him mm-hmm. like where what, what's what, so, is what's, he, what is he doing what's so important on the bright side having been friends with you for so long i know to invite you early to everything yeah so i always lie because if someone says a time for an event jeremy will absolutely forget what time it is mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how many times he's yes. done it before if it's a consistent thing it doesn't matter yep. i will still get texts every week about what time our improv classes is uh, even yeah, though we've yep. been doing it for six months <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like every other week i'll be like hey it's at seven right it's at seven oh it's like spam text uh, it's like, it's, yes it's six, yeah. 645 uh, yeah. it's weird though it's it's weird how consistent you are because it's always exactly 20 minutes know, always on the dot 20 minutes <laughs> see you think that you're unreliable but i can rely on you to show up 20 minutes late so i always tell you a half hour early and you show up the polite amount of early. Yeah. Because I heard somebody say, like, if you're on time, you're already late. And that stuck with me. Yeah. When something is on time, you're 10 minutes early. Yeah. At least. For me, I like to get there an hour early. You're a psycho. Yeah, I am. I get so anxious about being late yeah. that I always show up way too early and then it's awkward. Being an hour early, I think, would help anxiety, right? Yeah, because then you can just sit in your car or something if you drove there. You can just sit in your car for an hour and get anxious. Uh, Yeah, well, it's weird because sometimes I'll even, I'll do that and I'll get late because I'm just chilling in my car for too long. That's happened to me before. The rare times I'm early, I'll be like, I don't want to be early. Like, I don't want to be the guy that gets there like 10, walks in there 10 minutes early. See, that's the perfect time to go in though. I don't know. I just think like, what if you get stuck having to talk to somebody who's also early? 
And then you're all... networking. Beautiful. But like, have you ever seen like two awkward people network? You say a couple words and you look out the window, and you, but you can't both be looking out the same window. Yeah. And you or, or the, like the same thing on the wall. You go how how's the weather, and then you both look out the window, and you're like same. Oh, it's cold today, and you're like, yeah, I noticed that when I was outside a few well, minutes ago. Wind is here. All right, don't you hate that snow? It's the worst, buddy. Man. To, you know when you drive. Yeah, I told, I get it. Oh, shoes are shoes are Ooh, wet and yeah. stuff. And... Ugh. Oh, if someone goes, oh, this is the kind of wind that cuts through it straight through you. Right. It's like, yep, how do I respond to that? And then you have, like, the false positivity, too. Do you ever – I hate that. Like, you know, hi, hey, how are you – oh, I'm just doing great, man. I'm so excited to be here. Oh I love God. it. And it's like, I know you're dying inside. You don't have to lie to me. See, I love, like, the, the fake negativity. Let's find something to bitch about because it's yeah. easier. It's easier to make a conversation out of pain and suffering. Yeah. I kind of enjoy that. I enjoyed that, too. That can be fun. Like, showing up to a class. You ready for this class? No, f- I fucking hate this class. Oh, me too, dude. But you can like the class, but you'll stay, still say, I fucking hate this fucking class. I hate it, yeah. The teacher's sitting at the desk, I fucking hate this teacher. <laughs> yeah. Just so you and can And the teacher's like, this. I fucking hate, I hate this class so much. <laughs> I fucking hate the weather. You all gaze out the window. <laughs> <laughs> we never even introduced ourselves. Oh, we didn't. Hi, this is, I- <laughs> this is my podcast, <laughs> me, Kaylee. And this is me, Jeremy. Welcome to According to an Idiot, where we don't even remember to introduce our podcast. That's right. Hey. Hi. <laughs> hi. How are you? All right, Jeremy. I'm going to introduce a new segment to you. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call this baby that I'm birthing from my mind. It's breaching. I can see it. It's cr- you're crowning. You're crowning. <laughs> oh, my goodness. She's in pain. <laughs> uh, this is called Only on the Interwebs, and it is going to be crazy shit I find on the internet. And I'm going to spread the joy to all of you as well. Okay, so this kind of story you'd find only on, on the, the interwebs. interwebs. Ah. Ah, I want to kill myself after <laughs> saying that. Only on the interwebs. Okay. This train is bound for glory. So I was stumbling across Reddit, as one does, and I came across this, I want to say it's like a... Not even a fairly popular story. You might have seen it before, but it's four years old now. Okay. So it's possible you haven't. Very possible most of these people listening to us haven't heard it before. But this was posted. It's very possible the person who wrote the story is dead. It's true. A lot can happen in four, four years. years. Yeah. Uh, it was posted on Glitch in the Matrix. Okay. Which I think you told me about this. Yeah, it's a subreddit. Subreddit, actually. The story really freaked me out for some reason. Okay. And I would like to share it. The title is... A parallel life awoken by a lamp. Whoa. Well, really quickly. So Glitch in the Matrix is a subreddit that exclusively allows people to share stories of... It's Honestly, it's kind of hard to explain. It's not paranormal necessarily. It's just like something you can't explain that doesn't make sense in terms of science and physics almost. Right. And this one was originally posted by Temp to Tassoon. I am most definitely saying that wrong, but I don't know how else you would say that. It's Usernames are tough to credit. Yeah. I'm just going to say it verbatim. I'll cut like a few things out, but I like how they wrote it. It was very creepy. For sure. So this will all be in quotes from okay. now on. This is the story. My last semester at a certain college, I was assaulted by a football player for walking where he was trying to drive. He was 325 pounds and I was 120 pounds. While unconscious on the ground, I lived a different life. I met a wonderful young lady. She made my heart skip and my face red. 
I pursued her for months and dispatched a few jerk boyfriends before I finally won her over. After two years, we got married, and almost immediately she bore me a daughter. I had a great job, and my wife didn't have to work outside of the house. When my daughter was two, my wife bore me a son. My son was the joy of my life. I'd walk into his room every morning before I left for work and doted on him and my daughter. One day while sitting on the couch, I noticed that the perspective of the lamp was odd, like inverted. It was still in 3D, but just wrong. I was transfixed. It was a square lamp base, red with gold trim on four legs and a white square shade. I couldn't look away from it. I stayed up all night staring at it. The next morning I didn't go to work. Something was just not right about that lamp. I stopped eating. I left the couch only to use the bathroom at first. Soon I stopped that too. I stared at the fucking lamp for three days before my wife got really worried. She had someone come and try to talk to me. My cognizance was breaking up and my wife was freaking out. She took the kids to her mother's house just before I had my epiphany. The lamp is not real. The house is not real. My wife, my kids, none, none of, of that, that is, is real. real. The last 10 years of my life are not fucking real. The lamp started to grow wider and deeper. It took up my entire perspective and all I could see was red. I heard voices, screams, all kinds of weird noises and I became aware of pain. A fucking shit ton of pain. The first words I said were, I'm missing teeth and opened my eyes. I was laying on my back on the sidewalk, surrounded by people that I didn't know, freaking out. I was completely confused. At some point, a cop scooped me up, dragged me across the sidewalk, and threw me face down in the back of a cop car. I was taken to the hospital by the cop to give CT scans and shit. Seems he didn't want to wait for the ambulance to arrive. I went through about three years of depression. I was grieving the loss of my wife and children and dealing with the knowledge that they never existed. I was scared that I was going insane as I would cry myself to sleep hoping I would see her in my dreams. I never have, but sometimes I see my son, usually just a glimpse out of my peripheral vision. He's perpetually five years old and I can never hear what he says. I, I got full body goosebumps. That, uh. I hate that. Wow. That's, uh, is that all of it? Yeah. Man, that's interesting. Yeah. Isn't that like he lived an entire 10 year life while he was unconscious, and I've heard weird. I've heard of things like this happening, not to that length, but of people that are in an accident. It's not like an out of body experience, but it's like a cousin to that. Mm-hmm. You're somewhere else. You don't feel the pain. You don't even know what happened to you. Right, but well, that's it's, insane. It's not necessarily a coma either, because in comas, if you do have dreams, they're related to the yeah the injury in some yeah. way or the voices the, around the you. stimuli around you. Where in this case, it it wasn't at all. He had an entirely different life. Within a few minutes or seconds right. or whatever. That's and terrifying. You just sit there and there's something wrong. Like right. there's something wrong with the lamp and you right. just you can't place why it's wrong. Oh, Holy. I hate that. that I'm, every time I think about it, I get goosebumps. Crazy. And then like continuously seeing your son out of the corner of your right. eye and you can't hear what he's saying, but he's talking to you. God. I, I imagine the son is like a psychological after image. Like when... You get a flash of light in your eyes, and then for a while, you just see that kind of flash is still there, like a shadow in your periphery. It's like that. What if he actually entered a parallel universe, and he's seeing glimpses of it because he's already been there before, and now he's sensitive to I it? I can't. Every time I think about it, I get goosebumps. Isn't this so but, but like not, But not even because it's creepy, because it's terrifying. How heartbreaking would that be? That would ruin your life. 
Easily. Knowing a love like that and then having it ripped away and knowing it never existed at all. The last part especially. It never existed at all. Like tangible loss, Mm -hmm. like death. You have the validation of a grave at least. Yeah. You know what I mean? Of something like that. Of a photo or whatever. That it happened. You don't have that reassurance from everybody around you to go like, hey, buddy, I'm so sorry. Right. No no one can share the memory with you. Right. In this case, no one can share that memory with you. You just have to grieve for it on your own. And then you probably feel like a crazy person because you're grieving for something that never existed. And nobody will understand because who has gone through that? Probably a very limited amount of people. You know how many like groups there are for widows? Mm -hmm. A lot. Mm -hmm. Right. How many groups are there for people who had a dream that never really existed? Not a lot. Metaphysical widowers. That's uh, that's heavy, man. I hate that. Yeah, reading that for the first time, I was just like, oh. Anyways, that freaked me out. That was good. I hope you guys are tantalized now. Yeah. Maybe we should just jump straight into the... Okay, yeah, let's jump into the episode. So this episode is kind of all over the place. Uh, Well, you said Soviet and conspiracy, and that's what I ran with. Okay, yeah. The vibe here is conspiracies. Also, like aliens, UFO. Unidentified flying objects, UFOs. And there are some ties to the Reds. So let's... Jump into it. Sharing their curiosity to know the unknown, their tension, their readiness for inconceivable adventures. Is it human or inhuman? Earthly or unearthly? We choose to go to the moon. The dawn of the space age. I am here to discuss the so-called flying saucers. What is your opinion of these new sightings of unidentified objects? They had kept their mouth shut because they'd been threatened by the government. Unbelievable. Fantastic. But I tell you, it could happen. Just to set the mood a little bit, I'm going to be talking about the Soviet space program. This is during the space race between the U.S. and the Soviet Union, or the USSR, between 1955 and 1972. Each nation was pushing their scientific resources to the extreme as they tried to uh, determine kind of which one was better, communism or democracy. That's kind of what the space race turned into, who could have the most accomplishments in space, and that kind of determined which one was better and which one worked Uh, So it was an extremely heated time point, and I don't know, it led to lots of good science, though, so that's kind of cool. I think that's the key to it, is that um, communism brings us good science. Yeah. So here we are. Uh, Soviet space program consisted of several of the rocket and space exploration programs by the USSR from the 30s until the collapse in 1991. Hmm. But it was responsible for a lot of pioneer breakthroughs so the first intercontinental ballistic missile the first satellite first animal in earth orbit first human in space and earth orbit first woman spacewalk moon impact god damn yeah first image of the far side of the moon unmanned lunar soft landing first space rover sample of lunar soil and first space station and baby's first christmas Right. So they did a lot of different shit. That's pretty wild. Um, Even with all these amazing advancements, it didn't come without a cost. As you can imagine, they're rushing all this shit. So obviously there were like casualties. A lot of blow ups. A lot of stuff blowing up. A lot of blow ups. Some big ones in 1960. 
A Soviet rocket ignited on a launch pad, killing at least 78 of the ground crew. Jesus. Which, like, then is a fuck ton of people. Like, now it's a fuck ton of people. But, like, 70, a, I, don't, I don't even know, se- I don't know 78 people. That's a ton of people. <laughs> That's so many. In 1961, a Soviet cosmonaut was killed when a fire erupted inside an oxygen-rich training capsule. Just like the fucking worst way to die, I feel really? like yeah. just being burned to death in a capsule and no one can get you out. And you're training, like you're not and even you're there. And you're training, yeah. <laughs> like and a, you already I'm died. practicing. Well, that kind of like show you how intense the training was. Right. You know how dangerous even that was, and they're not even in space yet. Uh, and then in 1967, another cosmonaut was killed when a parachute failed. So these are like the more well-known casualties, but you can imagine how many there were. And as far as the people knew. In the Soviet Union, the space program had never experienced a failure. Well, um, that's a big issue with the Soviets is they disagreed with a lot of facts. They hid a lot. It's yeah, very I'm bizarre. They, they lied a, a lot. Like, um, just... Well, it's not lying if you just don't talk about it. That's true. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what their strategy was. So like you mentioned, one thing that the Soviets are really known for is being extremely secretive. Most Soviet citizens didn't even know anything beyond the really ambiguous messages the government would put out. Mm -hmm. But other than that, they didn't get any intel on what the rockets looked like, the names of the cosmonauts. That's terrible. (laughs) Yeah, they they got nothing. And it was like a, a struggle with the government of keeping it secret so that no one else would know about the program and their accomplishments, but also wanting to brag about it so they could be like, hey, socialism and communism rules. Like, look at all this stuff we're doing. Right. But you would think the citizens at least would know... Well, I think a, a lot of it, amount, a lot of but it too they is, didn't. Yeah, because Soviets were really into like knowing everybody else's business. Right. And I think that's like a symptom of that because they know that they have spies everywhere and anybody else could have spies everywhere. Right. And word gets out really quick. For sure. That kind of led into why most failures were buried or yeah. they weren't released because they kind of wanted to promote uh, their agenda. And always look good. Yeah, you know and just I mean? look good. Yeah, they don't, they don't want to be known for their failures they want to be known for their successes if at first you don't succeed erase all evidence that you ever tried (laughs) like literally like they didn't they didn't release it so they just assumed they were constantly having these successes because they never released when something failed like when someone died but with this conspiracy theories kind of popped out as you can imagine when you know nothing you kind of have to speculate about what's going on sure one of the big theories is called the lost cosmonauts or the phantom cosmonauts so that's what they called like their astronauts it just sounds cooler i guess it really does honestly it does. cosmonauts yeah. i love that yeah lost cosmonauts that sounds fucking cool as hell that's a book somewhere right 100%. absolutely so this is a conspiracy theory alleging that soviet cosmonauts went to outer space before yuri gagarin so he was the first man to make it back to yeah to go to space and orbit earth so he ended up making it back but the lost cosmonaut theory dictates that the soviet union attempted to launch two or more manned space flights prior to gagarin's and at least two cosmonauts died in those attempts if not more but their existence was never publicly acknowledged by the soviets Russian authorities because they were lost in space. Um, When they finally got Yuri out in space to orbit Earth and got him back, then they kind of celebrated that accomplishment. But since they lost the others, they never disclosed it to anyone. Just like a paper airplane. Let's just chuck this guy into space and just, he's gone. I mean, if you think, like, they're rushing so much, 
like things are going to go wrong. Like there's going to be failures. Right. But they don't care because like they're in they're in a position where people are expendable. Right. And nobody knows about the failures. As far as you know, they've had 50 successes and zero failures. Another cosmonaut, uh, Vladimir Ilushin, Ilushin, is believed to have landed off course and was held by the Chinese government. The Soviet Union supposedly suppressed this information to prevent the bad publicity during the Cold War. So he wasn't like necessarily lost in space, but he was like off course and he landed somewhere he wasn't supposed to and held by the Chinese government, which like could be a huge failure. Right. Or if what I would out. do. What I would do crash land there play it off like you're an alien and then hope that they worship you that's true i'm an alien that looks exactly like you i have cloned myself a russian myself. guy does not look like an asian guy uh, that's true <laughs> to where you'd be like oh damn but they have two arms and two legs and two eyeballs and two nose holes and one mouth they don't know that they could be hiding under your spacesuit. Oh my god! Or the spacesuit could be part of your skin. Just play it out. Be get creative with it. Is all I'm saying. That's all. Right. It is glad. Come on. Put that liberal arts you... degree to good use. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, okay. A lot of classified documents were released after the collapse of the Soviet Union in the 1990s. There was an information leak by a Czech high-ranking communist. He reported many unofficial space shots, including a cosmonaut being launched inside a converted rocket. So they tried to disguise the space missions by converting a rocket, basically, to like hide what they were actually doing. What do you mean by converting a rocket? I mean that it was like a ballistic rocket. That they converted to be like a spaceship. Oh shit! In my mind, I'm still thinking like a rocket's a spaceship. Yeah, no, 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 not like a, not yeah. like a, yeah, space. I'm, I'm a child. No, no, no. You're a good. rocket really is like a missile. Yeah. It's like it's, a, it's not yeah. necessarily manned. Right. So this yeah. this guy said that they like converted a rocket to be able to hold a astronaut. And shot it into space, and they did that to like hide what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but he reported many unofficial space projects like that that happened before Yuri Gagarin went into space and orbited Earth for the first time. Okay. He released three more names that were claimed to have died or lost in space prior to him. Pioneering space theoretician Herman Oberth claimed that a pilot had been killed on a suborbital ballistic flight in early 1958. So uh, he's a smart guy, so we should definitely trust what he has to say. Yes. <laughs> this guy wore a sweater vest, oh my so God. listen he to him. He was a pioneering space guy. <laughs> yeah. He knows what he's talking about. Uh, and then in December of 1959, an Italian news agency repeated the claims that a series of cosmonaut deaths on suborbital flights have been revealed by a high-ranking Czech communist. So that kind of propelled the conspiracy because it got out to, like, another government. And by then, you're screwed. Yeah. Oh, right. And then everyone was like, thank God we're not, like, those losers. Those losers that don't know how to launch people into the sky. <laughs> right. Because really all you're doing, if you're not, if they're not coming back, <laughs> it's not as impressive when you say, oh, we know how to throw people and they never come oh, back. Right. <laughs> we made a cannon, essentially. A like, space cannon. A football is not as impressive as a boomerang. As a man with a family. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, in 1960, science fiction writer Heinlein reported that while traveling oh, to... Oh, wait, the, he has one name? Uh, yes. He reported that while traveling to the USSR, he met Red Army cadets who told him that there had recently been a manned space launch. Uh, so this was like one year before Yuri went out into space. Okay. And they said so that we know they, there's been more people that... Yeah, and, and they told him that they had seen manned space flights going into space 
But what happened was the launch capsule had a guidance system failure, so it was steered in the wrong direction, the yeah. you know, space rocket was. Jesus. <laughs> uh, so this made retrieval impossible, and right. the ship was stranded in orbit around Earth. These poor, these poor guys. <laughs> right? What the fuck? They're not uh, even looking into it. They're just shit. like, it failed last time? Do it again. Do it again. Oh, right. We'll fix it this yeah. time. Leading from that, two Italian amateur radio operators. Alleged- Here we go. These are my right. heroes. <laughs> these are the science people. Yeah. Uh, allegedly picked up a number of radio transmissions that they claimed were from the doomed Soviet space launches. Can you imagine fucking around with a radio and then you get, like, transmissions from someone who's lost in space? It's also in a different language, so, like, you probably would Translate it. Can you imagine, like, translating it and you're like... Oh, shit. S-O-S? Yeah. Ah. But in Russia, it's like... Uh, So a pair of brothers from Turin claimed they began monitoring the Soviet space program transmissions in 1957 and that these transmissions prove that Yuri wasn't the first man in space. They claimed that in November of 1960, they picked up an SOS transmission in Morse code coming from a Soviet spacecraft. They determined this craft was moving away from Earth and that this meant the Soviets had accidentally launched their <laughs> cosmonauts deep into space. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. That's terrible. But right. God. Fucking horrifying. Oh, we accidentally launched a man into space. <laughs> And uh, we're not going to worry about it. We're just going to try again. Oh, man. As long as he's out of view. Like, oh, he's gone? Okay, we're fine. Yeah, if we don't talk about it, then it didn't happen. (laughs) Uh, The brothers made nine recordings they claimed were emergency transmissions from Soviet cosmonauts being launched away from Earth. How many? Nine. (laughs) Oh, my. Uh, Jesus Christ. That's nine lives. That's nine lives, at least. That's one cat. (laughs) Uh, One of these recordings, there was a woman's voice that could be heard saying in Russian that she can see flames and asking mission control if her ship is about to explode. (laughs) That's scary. But also good for them for you doing a female astronaut. Yeah. So the first female astronaut wasn't actually the first female astronaut. No. And the, and the one that was was forgotten for forever because she died. So... Is this theory believable? Yes. Um, yes. Up to you. The yes. Soviets obviously denied all the allegations. Of course they did. Uh, and the Russians denied all of it too. Like, yeah. is that really surprising? Some rebuttals that people have said to side with the Soviets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, is that the side you want to pick? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think uh, it's, it's been long enough to where we know it's the right side of history. Uh, right. They say that the Luna probes had no room to fit cosmonauts who are supposedly fired into the moon's surface. One of the rockets had no re-entry shield, which suggests there were never any plans for the capsule to survive the trip. Wow. Which is fucked. Very much so, yeah. Yeah, like that, do- that doesn't prove anything in my mind. Like, it just tells me the Soviets are fucked. Yeah, they're just like, you're not coming back. And this is the uh, the last rebuttal, uh, the strongest, if you ask me. Okay. There is no mention of the lost cosmonauts in declassified documents, so therefore there are no... <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> Secretive documents oh, never mind. that exist. Never mind, yeah. Um, it's not mentioned, therefore it didn't happen. Yep. Sorry. They're just like, okay, so we have to keep this classified because it's really bad, and if it ever gets out, everyone's going to hate us. And the right. one guy was just like, how about we just never write it down? <laughs> everyone's like, oh, right. my God, let's run an entire government on this. What if we write it down but then destroy it before anyone can actually find it? Right. That's stuff that all governments do. That's true. That, see, I feel like what they did is declassify certain documents so that it had more weight when they yes, it's that's smart. Y- you know, and because then and like, then they didn't really cyst because why would they want to admit to it? They don't. Right, exactly. Now we're whispering. Oh my god, 
Uh, so... Imagine knowing that you're sending a man or woman to their death in the sky. They didn't give a shit. They wanted that space race win. They wanted that gold medal. They wanted that moon money. Right, and then you think about, like, the Soviets did so many firsts, and it doesn't matter because the U.S. got a man on the moon first. And all those people died in vain because no one even knows No or one remembers. even cares, yeah. That makes me feel like I need to take a shower. So uh, I will also be dealing with some conspiracy. Some of what I'm going to say for this story is pure conjecture. Some of it is, I think, um, very likely... I got a lot of it from different sources on the internet, but most importantly, a huge source comes from Area 51, an uncensored history of America's top secret military base by Annie Jacobson. Wow. Really interesting book. So if we're going to start this off the Jeremy way, we got to start with some vocab. Fuck yeah. Just to give some of this some more weight. Uh, propaganda is going to play a big part in this. Propa who? Ganda. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... There are three types of propaganda. There is white propaganda, which has nothing to do with Caucasians. White propaganda is propaganda that doesn't hide its origin or nature. So it comes from a source that is identified correctly and openly, and the info that they convey is typically accurate. So if, let's say, the U.S. finds out that Germany dropped it, like... Dropped a baby. <laughs> dropped a loaf. Uh, let's say that Germany... Did some poisoning to some diplomat in Russia. Yeah. And we told the Russian people, hey, don't trust Germany. They did this. Signed the U.S. government. Right. That would be white, white propaganda because we're, say, we're saying, hey, this is from us. This is what happened. This is the truth. And we're not yeah. trying to hide it. The, the downside is that the sender is trying to convince the other person that they're a good guy. Think of like a TV election ad where some okay. guy goes, you know, Mike Foster took money from the poor. Oh, God. He's a bad guy. That's why you shouldn't vote for him. And it's like, this was funded by the campaign for William Hurt. The pedophile. <laughs> <laughs> William Hurt, which is an actor. I shouldn't have picked that name. You don't know that, but I know that, which is distracting for me. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry you made that choice. <laughs> uh, so it's telling you, here's some bad stuff. By the way, I won't do that. You get the idea. Let's go to black propaganda, which is propaganda that is credited to a false source with the intent of spreading lies fabrications and deceptions this feels racist well think of black like a black storm cloud oh god an example of this is like a hoax or wartime propaganda so like the soviets being like we're doing great out there with the rockets oh my god but they would do it in a russian accent <laughs> with the rockets <laughs> out here in the soviet union where we are about to check a man into the stars oh, wow. he's waving Never. goodbye to his wife one last time right before he explodes in a fiery death. The propaganda we're going to be talking about here is, is mainly black. So let's uh, backtrack just a second and go to World War II. Just so you know, the Allied Powers, which is like the quote-unquote good guys. Mm -hmm. Not quote-unquote. They, the, they were the better guys because the Nazis were the other right, option. Yeah, yeah. So those were Great Britain, France, United States, and Russia. Mm -hmm. And the Axis Powers were Germany, Italy, and Japan. U.S. and Soviet Union were both sort of forced into the war. When you think about it, the U.S. was through the bombing of Pearl Harbor, and the Soviets were forced into their position as allies through the invasion from the Nazis. I mean, obviously, I'm like footnote of the footnote of the footnote. World War II ends after the uh, atomic bomb is made and dropped on Japan, and everyone gets freaked out. Like, oh, oh man, that was a big bomb. I don't we, want that. Okay, fine. I want to talk about the Manhattan Project. We talked about black propaganda. Mm-hmm. 
there's these things that are called black operations, born classified stuff. Congress doesn't know about it, essentially. Oh, shit. And that's what the Manhattan Project was. So I'm assuming the Manhattan Project is the creation of the atom bomb? Oh, yeah. So the Manhattan Project employed roughly around 200,000 workers. Had had dozens of production plants across the country, including a 60,000-acre facility in rural Tennessee that pulled more power off the nation's electrical grid than New York City did any given night. And nobody knew about it. President Truman didn't know about it until he became president. Can you imagine? That'd be insane. I'd be, I'd have a panic attack. I would president. resign. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm good. I don't want to. Isn't that shit wild? 200,000 people. No one knew about it. However, with some Soviet espionage, it's believed that they did have moles in the Manhattan Project. So they they had an idea of what was going on. Because how quiet can you really keep 200,000 people? Right. Which led to them eventually making their own atomic bombs, which is when the real Cold War starts. After World War II, we keep on using bombs. Mm -hmm. Eventually, we both had nukes, and we were both terrified of each other. And despite this, it should be known that Nazi Germany had some crazy genius scientists on their Mm -hmm. side. Like, they were, like, some of the smartest minds. Germany has so many smart people. I I don't know how that works. Like, honestly, they do, like, so many amazing scientists and doctors and, like, researchers. Mm -hmm. And back in the day, some of the best scientists in America came from the Nazis. Yeah, Have you heard of Operation Paperclip? No. Okay, Operation Paperclip is where... After World War II, there was a battle for who could kidnap like the best Nazi scientists between the Allies. We defeated the Nazis. Okay, we get to pick the best Nazis that we want to bring back on our team, mm-hmm. except everyone was just kidnapping Nazis. I thought they were like recruited. Oh, no, it was like a full on like it was, so an agency, which was the precursor to the CIA. I believe it was the OSS. I'm not sure, though. I think mm-hmm. it might have been an in-between phase of the CIA. Uh, they sort of just scoured Europe and all across the globe mm. for imprisoned or runaway Nazi scientists. That's so weird to think about. I didn't know any of this. Germany already had a bunch of smart people. But when the war started to go sour for Hitler, he recalled all of the brilliant minds out of service. Like if they were working in any way with the war effort, he pulled them back said, go in that laboratory, figure out how to win me this war because we're getting scared now. And so, it's just like cattle. Exactly. Hey, uh, use your brain to create inventions. These people were all placed on this list called the Ossenberg List, which was later used by the U.S. Army major to select the most valuable men to steal. Mm-hmm. So he looked at this list. He said, here's the guys that I want. And two of the guys that he picked were like on the board of directors for NASA. Like, we would not have gotten to the moon if it weren't for the Nazis. Meanwhile, the Soviets, they're doing the same grind right now. Mm-hmm. Area 51. Buckle up, kids. We're going there. This is going to be one heck of a field trip. So, Area 51 is a secret test base where the CIA was running spy plane programs. It started as a secret base hidden within a base that saw studies and testing with atomic weapons. The testing grounds that Area 51 resides in Mm -hmm. is almost the size of Connecticut. And no one's allowed on it because it's government run. Yeah, the Nevada test site. In 1951, 105 nuclear weapons were exploded above ground at this test site. And another 828 were exploded underground. What the fuck? Gee, right? 828. They did this in tunnels and like mine shafts and stuff. Why is it called Area 51? It's because it's the 51st parcel of land on this grid system they used to divvy Uh, out the land. But in the book I was talking about, the author claims that she has sources that say the reason it's called Area 51 is because in 1951, they received... The remains of a flying saucer that they tested specifically on that parcel of land, which prompted them to call it Area 51, Hmm. allegedly. It was also a base camp for black operations to combat Stalin's black propaganda of UFOs. Just to give you an idea of who who Joseph Stalin was, Adolf Hitler was quoted as calling Stalin a 
cold-blooded blackmailer. Oh, shit. If Hitler calls you that, you got to work on some things. Mm -hmm. So Stalin put into effect black propaganda about UFOs. We're going to deal with Roswell. That's what this is leading to. Okay, so here's the weird thing. Yeah. When people talk about UFOs, most people know about Roswell, but they don't actually know what it is. It's kind of part of American folklore at this point. Right. They know have like some vague idea of Roswell and they know it exists and mm-hmm. they know UFOs are involved, but they don't know the story of Roswell. And it's not really talked about that often, I feel like, which is weird because of how famous it is. And I was one of those people. I didn't really know anything about Roswell. To educate myself, I was like, well, we're doing a UFO episode vaguely, so I will educate myself and others on Roswell. Yeah. So I'll get right into it. It all started in the summer of 1947 when a rancher discovered unidentifiable debris in a sheep pasture outside Roswell, New Mexico. So there you go. That's Roswell. <laughs> Whoa. <I'm just> <laughs> the big dispute for the Roswell sighting was the Air Force asserted that it was a crashed weather balloon. But many people believed it was the remains of an extraterrestrial flying saucer or a UFO. So a series of what are called dummy drops in New Mexico happened during the 1950s, which heightened the suspicions. So nearly 50 years after the story of the... What are dummy drops? I'm going to get into it. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So nearly 50 years after the story of the mysterious UFO sighting, the U.S. military issued a report. They basically leaked their own document stating that the incident was a top secret atomic espionage project called Project Mogul. However, even though the military released this report, Mm -hmm. people still believe that it's a UFO and they just released this document retroactively to cover it up. Hundreds of people still visit Roswell every year to see the crash site, even though nothing's there anymore, obviously. The government sweeped all that up and shoved it in their... Asshole. Shoved it right in their asshole. But people (laughs) like to look at the dirt it was on, I guess. The dirt in their asshole. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) So get more in specifics of the incident. One morning around Independence Day in 1947... Independence Day. Did that ring any bells for you? Uh, yeah, the Will Smith effect. Yeah, about 75 miles from the town of Roswell, New Mexico, a rancher named Mac Brazel found something unusual in a sheep pasture. A mass of metallic sticks held together with tape with a bunch of plastic and foil in there, scraps of really heavy, glossy paper-like material. That Some... sounds like high-tech alien technology. So as a rancher, you can imagine anything that's shiny is strange. Is, it, wow. is, it, is this a telephone? Weird. Is this one of them TVs I've been hearing about? <laughs> foil. I've never seen it before. <laughs> this is 1947 where foil was only for the extreme rich. Naturally unable to identify what the, the fuck this thing was, mm-hmm. Brazel called the Roswell Sheriff. The sheriff then called the officials at the nearby Army Air Force Base where soldiers fan out across the field gathering the mysterious debris and whisking it away in armored trucks. That's where the conspiracy comes in. So why did they need so many people if it was just a weather balloon? And why was the trucks armored? That's why I want to know. Right. Why were there armored trucks? Why were there so many Air Force people there? Why was it such a big deal if it was just a weather balloon? A balloon. Is that armored truck so that nobody can get in or so that nobody can get out? <gasps> it's so they can carry balloons. <laughs> That's right. It's standard government balloon trucks. 
So this is like a fun fact. The Project Mogul team invented a lot of high-tech materials for its balloons and other equipment, including ultra-lightweight and ultra-strong metals, things like fiber optic cables and fireproof fabrics. So this is part of the reason why some people who saw the debris thought it came from outer space. Mm. It didn't look or behave like anything they'd ever seen before. So disclaimer, might have actually been a weather balloon. Don't say that to me. (laughs) Don't ever say that to me. That's not where I thought this was going. (laughs) So on July 8th, the newspapers were riddled with mysterious spacecraft landed in Roswell, New Mexico. Mm -hmm. And naturally, it sweeped the nation. But was it true? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was true. True. Yeah. Unidentified flying object landed in Roswell, New Mexico. But people who have seen the debris said it was clear that whatever this thing was, it was no weather balloon. So more information on the dummy drops and what those are. During the 1950s, the Air Force essentially was doing these experiments meant to test ways for pilots to survive falls from high altitudes. Mm. And they would send bandaged featureless dummies with latex skin and aluminum bones, quote, dummies that looked an awful like space aliens falling from the sky onto the ground where the military vehicles will descend upon them and retrieve the bodies... As quickly as possible. Oh, wow. Okay. So this is what the Air Force said it was. So it was a weather Mm. balloon. Yes. And then it wasn't a weather balloon. It was actually a dummy drop where they made it look like an alien and would drop them randomly. And then, oh, we have to like go catch it really quick. Mm, To me, this sounds like they're trying to save face. They're changing their story. Yeah, they're they're definitely changing their story. So like all the skeptics. Because when you change your story like that, especially as the government, that's just very sketchy. Yeah, it definitely made them more suspicious. Right. So there were a lot more skeptics after this came out. Like, if you were going to say it's a weather balloon, you might as well just stick to the weather balloon. Like, I wonder if some guy just jumped the gun on that explanation. I'll actually touch on the retraction they made about the weather balloon because there is something potentially that explains that. So people were convinced that the dummies were actually extraterrestrial creatures, aliens, who were being kidnapped and experimented on by government scientists. Hmm. This was the belief among the country, I guess. Among the crackpots. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Roswell and the Project Mogul. Again, Project Mogul was... Dropping dummies and picking them up? Yeah, creating like materials and things within the government. Can we drop a human under the ground? Right. Can they do it? Can they survive? It turned out the army knew more about the ranchers flying saucer than they originally had let on. Since World War II, a group of geophysicists and oceanographers from Columbia University, New York University, and the Woods Hole Oceanic Graphic Institution, wow, those low words, on Cape Cod, have been working on a top-secret atomic espionage project they called Project Mogul. Project Mogul used really sturdy high-altitude balloons to carry low-frequency sound sensors into the faraway part of Earth's atmosphere that acts as a sound channel. In this part of the atmosphere, sound waves can travel for thousands of miles without interference, a lot like the ocean. Okay. I guess that's why they had so many like oceanographers participating. Because whale sounds are like that, right? Yeah, they can travel really, really far. And they were trying to do this in Earth's atmosphere as well. The scientists believe that they could be able to eavesdrop on nuclear tests as far away as the Soviet Union. Okay, there we go. It all leads back to the Soviets. Yeah, so basically Project Mogul was a ploy by the government to spy on the Soviets, as it always does. Goddamn Reds. And they were using these weather balloons as some kind of like 
microphone sound channel type device. According to the U.S. military, the debris outside Roswell actually belonged to Project Mogul. It was the remains of a 700-foot-long string of neoprene balloons, radar reflectors for tracking purposes, and sonic equipment that the scientists had launched from the base in June and that had crash in early July. Because the project was extremely classified, it was very secretive because they don't want the Soviets knowing, obviously. Mm -hmm. No one at the Roswell Army field even knew that it existed, and they had no idea what to make of the objects that they had found. So they came up with the weather balloon story because it was simple and it was the most plausible explanation that they could come up with on such short notice. Right. Honestly, I would believe it. A weather balloon? Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. I think this was definitely before people started to really question the government. Because nowadays, like, we, we question the government immediately, right? Right. Apparently in 1994, the Pentagon declassified most of its files on Project Mogul and the dummy drops that it did. So the dummy drops were actually a thing that they did with Project Mogul, supposedly. Right. And the Federal General Accounting Office produced a report designed to debunk the alien rumors. But, like anything... People are going to believe what they want to believe, and thousands of people still subscribe to the UFO theory that there was aliens that landed at Roswell back in 1947, and now it's hard to really disprove because oh, the, yeah. the people who are alive- They're and, all gone. Yeah, they're, they're all gone now, and people are just going to be hearing stories that they had from their grandpa, right? and they're going to listen to that like it's gospel. Yeah. So what I'll be talking about does- touch on Roswell in a different light that you just touched on. So the book I read, however, which was also grounded with a shit ton of sources from official old dudes that worked with the CIA and all these people to cover up what Roswell really was. That's kind Hmm. of tough to say, what Roswell really was. So to understand the fear behind UFOs and Roswell, we have to jump back one last time to October 30th, 1938. There was a radio drama called The War of the Worlds. Are you familiar with this? No, I am not. Okay. The War of the Worlds was a science fiction radio drama adapted from an H.G. Wells novel that was made in 1898, and it was adapted to be more modern. And this radio broadcast caused what is commonly described as mass hysteria across the country. The program opened up with a prologue, which was read by actor Orson Welles. I don't know if you know that is, but he went on to become a very famous screen actor. Mm Mm-hmm. So Orson Welles comes on and says, hey, everybody, this is the radio show. It's about an alien invasion. The show itself isn't like a a radio drama. It's told as if you're listening to a regular news bulletin, Mm -hmm. which is then interrupted with news of the fictional alien invasion. So for people who turned on the radio after the prologue Mm -hmm. and didn't hear the setup, they thought a real news bulletin was being interrupted with news of this alien invasion. And they had like a part. That would part, be so horrifying. Yeah. And this is back in, you know, what, 1938? We didn't know anything. We were so naive back then. Mm-hmm. The radio was telling you the truth. People allegedly started just freaking out. Now, the actual numbers of how many people affected are sometimes exaggerated. So I'm not sure. I just do know that uh, I had like a history teacher whose father was a kid when this happened. His grandfather had gotten his father on a boat and they were rowing out to the middle of a lake to where there was an island because that's how afraid they were. They wanted to go to an island. So people took this really seriously. Right. And what that did was uh, the government was watching and they said, "Okay, well, if something like this happens, we can never let the public know because look what they'll do. Yeah. But also other countries' governments were watching, specifically the Soviets. And they said, wow, Americans are really afraid of UFOs. We could probably use this in the future against them. Plotting. Mr. Stalin, you're always thinking. Building it up. 
So I would do if I was a Soviet. So the following is truly a conspiracy theory because it goes against popular belief of what Roswell was all about. You know, I'm someone who judges information kind of harshly. Mm-hmm. I just want to like let you know that like this is conjecture to a certain degree, but the speculation is actually backed up by a lot of great sources, which makes me very privy to keep an open mind to this. Yeah, yeah. So Roswell, New Mexico, during the first week of July, 1947, the U.S. Signal Corps engineers began to track two objects with unseen flying capabilities flying through the southwest states. So they get on the radar and they go, whoa, it's like every UFO movie. Like, whoa, these things are moving at impossible speeds. What's up with this? Oh, my God. Huh? It flies normal. This is what's weird about it. It's flying normal, like forward, like a normal plane, but it seems to occasionally stop and hover. It's got hover technology, which is not, we got nothing like this at all. This is like before microwaves. Yeah. We knew about the thing microwaves. Yeah, the, <laughs> the actual like microwaves. Yeah, micro. Not, not like a kitchen microwave. So when other radar sources supported these sightings, Kirkland Army Air Force Base sent a fighter jet to track it, and the pilot never got a clear image of what he was chasing. Right. Then there was a crash in Roswell. <laughs> and the Office of Joint Chiefs of Staff took control and reported to the crash site. They recovered some components of the aircraft. What was even weirder, though, is that the aircraft had no wings or tail. It was just a round fuselage. It was like a flying saucer. Right. But the publicly believed outcome is that it was a weather balloon, and it was all blown out of proportion. Now, in a 1994 declassified Army memo, it's actually referred to by the military as the flying disc. But they they look through the wreckage, and they find inside the disc some very familiar markings. It was a language. Russian language. (gasps) stamped into the metal of the thing like it was the made aliens some... know russian yeah the military shit their pants they're like oh god the russians got the better nazi scientists you know what i mean right like okay we're screwed and they they have hover technology now they knew that the russians had been taunting them by flying aircraft over alaska because it's close to russia but the fact that they had gotten to like new mexico right and no one knew so they're like, okay, Russians could invade us so easily. Oh, my God. Uh, panic. The government commences Operation Harass. <laughs> where, they're always, like, so straightforward, I, I feel They like. kind of stopped with the cool names. They're just like, we're just going to harass some people. Oh, right. And uh, in Operation Harass, it's where it U.S. Sounds like you're saying harass. <laughs> Operation Harass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, the U.S. Army Intelligence. They go on a manhunt for the Horton brothers, which are two former Nazi engineers who they believed had designed the saucer-shaped aircraft. Now, these guys, if you look up the Horton brothers, they made some fucking gorgeous planes for the Nazis and are essentially like what, you know, like the modern-day stealth bombers, those black things that are kind of triangular and rounded? Sure. They're like the stealth bombers. They're black <laughs> and they're, <laughs> they're... Waving your hand around helps the visualization. <laughs> you know, I don't know. <laughs> airplanes um, that go vroom, vroom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they look like alien technology. So these guys are the ones that designed what's considered kind of the predecessor to that, which was the Horton Ho 229. Horton Here's a Who. Horton Here's a Who <laughs> 229, which was like a rounded, very futuristic looking Nazi stealth bomber with radar absorbent paint that couldn't be picked up very well by radar. They thought, OK, that could be what, what we're dealing with here is something like that because <laughs> the radars didn't pick it up super easily. Right. So let's find these goddamn Horton brothers. I couldn't find if whether or not they had actually interrogated the Hortons or not. Mm-hmm. But some way around there, they figured out that the Hortons didn't seem to be directly involved huh. in any way. So they were either maybe interrogated or their blueprints were stolen by the Soviets. Hmm. There was a source that said when they had taken in that 
that disc that they had found with the Russian writing in it. They had taken it to Area 51. This was in the year 1951. Yeah. And they told the engineers, hey, reverse engineer this. Figure out how it worked. After a couple of years, they figured it out. And they learned that it used EMF technology to hover. Right. Uh, However, here's where I think this stuff gets real messed up. The Russian lettering was not the only thing they found inside the aircraft. There were several small alien pilots. In our episode way back when, I briefly talked about Nazi experiments on humans. Yeah. And I talked about Joseph Mengele. Okay, yeah. The Nazi angel of death, and he did all these uh, crazy experiments yeah. on Jewish prisoners. He was he was crazy. He was gross. Well, Operation Paperclip. <gasps> Thank God. Who got Mangala? Oh, my God. Potentially the Soviets. Yeah. This theory uh, claims. And so I guess he had made a deal with Stalin, and Stalin's like, we'll take care of you. I got some ideas about aliens and UFOs trying to scare the Americans. And Mangala's like, yes, sir, Mr. Stalin. <laughs> I'd love to do that. And then Stalin has Joseph Mangala experiment on these bodies of what we believe to be children. Somewhere along the age of 13. Uh, we don't know if they were disabled children, however. But the way the sources describe the bodies found in the craft really disturbing and inhuman looking where they had enlarged craniums big eyes no noses you gotta imagine like these guys opening up the spacecraft you're like okay this is literally aliens mutilated bodies yeah well they were alive still (gasps) yeah which ultimately comes into question you know how did a bunch of deformed kids fly (laughs) fly an aircraft yeah but it's believed that perhaps it was jettisoned off of like a bigger ship oh right and it just coasted yeah until it crashed so there was a Roswell News Bulletin fairly quickly. And this man named Walter Hott, he was a press officer from Roswell Army Airfield. And he gave the original press release on the radio saying that the Air Force was in possession of what they called a flying disc. Came out right away and said it. Right, it's Frisbee. Then, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, guys. My bad. Uh, then three hours later, there was a retraction. Uh, Walter Hott was sent back to give a second press release, which explained that the first release was incorrect. It was, in fact, like a weather balloon. So, Walter Hott died in 2005, and when he died, he left a sworn affidavit to be opened after his death. In the text, Hott said the second press release was fraudulent and served to cover up the original release. Hott also swore that the Air Force had recovered strange bodies from the crash site, writing, quote, I am convinced that what I personally observed was some kind of aircraft and its crew from outer space. Shit. Yeah. To get more specific, in this little book... That's it's, not little. It's not little. It's a big-ass <laughs> yeah, book. It's a big-ass book. The last chapter, the author talks about this one source that she had mm-hmm. that told her what was inside the aircraft. Uh, he was an engineer that worked for Area 51, and when they received those bodies, there was like five of them. Yeah. Most of them died. Two of them were comatose. So they were able to keep two on life support. What they did was they shipped them into Area 51 in 1951. Yeah. They didn't hire surgeons. They hired engineers to observe these bodies they were tasked to cut them open and see what was done to them what was changed right the author makes the point of saying to this engineer why didn't truman ever come out with this information this would be the perfect way to combat that black operation to say look how depraved the russians are look what they would do to scare us look what they would do to these bodies the engineer answered because we did the same thing what what does that mean Oh, exactly. He becomes very emotional when he's talking about this. He says that he never told his wife about it. He tries not to think about it. And when he retired, it was still going on. They were still trying to perfect what they had started. 
to where there was experimentations up until the 80s. By creating these monster alien-looking people? Potentially for a similar black operation. That's that's where the book leaves off on. And Damn, that's a cliffhanger. I know, right? Where it ends, she paints this really cool picture where she's at a restaurant with this guy, and they're eating food, and she gets a crouton from her salad. She puts it on a plate, and she said, okay, if everything you've told me is this crouton, do I even know half of it? And then the guy said, no, the full story is bigger than the crouton. It's the whole table and chairs. For the most part, the book does not touch on like whether or not aliens are real. It touches on black operations, what you can find through memos and declassified documents, and the fact that all of that is barely anything. Like the That's stuff, insane. yeah, like the stuff and that like, is we'll hidden from us. And like, we'll never even really know. No, it, it'll never be. Like, why would you? If it's that dark, all of that stuff is born classified. You know, you carry it to your grave. Right. Like, I can't imagine carrying something like that to my grave. But again, it's because I, pro- if I was an engineer, they wouldn't hire me because they would know that. I'm sure they figure out who can handle what. Right. But yeah, I thought that was a very interesting. Yeah, I'll have to steal that book from you sometime. Yeah, for sure. It's a really interesting little crooked chapter of our history. And is potentially still going on today. Probably. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes the scariest answer isn't what's most mystical. It's just the truth of it. Yeah. Either it was a dummy drop by Project Mogul, it was the actual balloon, or it was the Soviets. Or it was the Soviets. It could be the Soviets. Can you imagine how great of a prank that would be for the Soviets to just never say anything at all? Yeah. Uh, If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please follow us on Facebook or Instagram at According to an Idiot. We also have a Twitter at Idiots Accord. If you would like to give us any recommendations, comments, concerns, topics you would like us us to discuss, you can email us at According to an Idiot at gmail.com. And if you really, really liked us, you can leave a review on iTunes so more people can find us and tell all your friends and have uh, podcast listening parties and tell them to subscribe. And we'll, like, I don't know, have T-shirts at some point. So I don't know. <laughs> You're just talking to yourself at this point. You guys won't know this having listened to it, but these are two totally different recordings that we decided to mash together. So if it sounds slightly off to you, that might be why. We Frankensteined it. And you're only finding out at the end, so you won't have noticed as much. If we told you in the beginning, you would have noticed. But now that it's the end, surprise. We pranked you. We pranked you. We got you. You should have seen the look on your face. Yeah, but this is future us. Yeah. You might have heard past us a little bit. You you definitely heard past us. You definitely heard past us. So this is us now, wishing you a happy new year. And my good vibes for this episode will be setting goals and uh shopping and new shoes i got some new kicks and i feel like a brand new woman and i'm excited about it i like put a whole new i i, I don't know like yeah, wardrobe can change you it's a good. wardrobe can definitely change you and mm-hmm. I, I feel spicy now yeah you smell spicy oh yeah kaylee you want to hear my good vibration yes i do i found this out you ever heard of I did. Have I ever heard of? (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever heard? Uh, (laughs) Have you ever heard of a man named Vasily Arkhipov? I have not, no. Speaking of Soviets, Vasily was a Soviet Navy officer. He prevented uh, nuclear annihilation. So during the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, there was some sort of mishap where they misinterpreted an act of aggression that really wasn't. In this nuclear submarine, there was like three naval officers who 
together had to come to the consensus to launch a nuke from the submarine. Okay. To detonate it. Oh, yeah. And it came down to them. Detonate that nuke. Three guys. One of them was Vasily. Something had happened. I'm not even sure what. Right. Maybe a boat crossed over some territory. I'm probably wrong. I apologize. So so. It's, it's always about boats. It's always about boats. A bunch of guys and boats. I hate it. So two of the officers were like, yep, it's time to detonate. Let's nuke this place. And Vasily, a Soviet officer, noble to the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. he says, no, you're going to end the world. Thanks, so, buddy. Thanks, Vasily. Everybody say thank you to Vasily. Thank you, Vasily. Good. Also, thanks for buying new shoes. <laughs> <laughs> new shoes. Who can who can hate that? Uh, I'm delusional right now. Okay. I, so am I. I'm so tired, guys. I'm right now we're recording this at 11:30. Right now. Yeah, I have an hour drive home. We recorded one episode already, and it didn't record. So here oh, we are God. recording a second one. Lord. And I am burnt out. I wish Vasily had just launched the nuke. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, we're ending it now, and I'm going to go drive home for an hour and pass the fuck out. Farewell, everybody. I will see you in time. Happy 